Welcome to Public Intellectual. Public Intellectual is a podcast supported solely by its listeners, so if you would like to contribute and gain access to exclusive bonus episodes and notes about each episode, you can join us at patreon.com slash publicintellectual. Basic Instinct is a movie about how compulsory heterosexuality and domesticity and sex with Michael Douglas will turn any woman into a murderer. This is the latest in our series about the films of Paul Verhoeven and the second and hopefully the last in our series about Michael Douglas films. But our last Michael Douglas episode focused on the David Fincher film The Game, and we mostly talked about his characters there as men trapped in sterile, cold little worlds, unable to join in on the fun of the counterculture or femininity or sexual liberation. The patriarch's imagination about how the world could be is extremely limited. With Basic Instinct, Michael Douglas is still trapped, but this time he wants entry into these new worlds. He sees the value of them, but only if he can dominate and control them. The two actresses in these films, both blonde, both mysterious and self-contained, both beckon or embody the potential of these worlds. Played in The Game by Deborah Kara Unger and by Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct, it is a blessing that both of these women characters are their own people. The 90s, after all, was full of the manic pixie dream girl character, where an obviously mentally ill woman inspires a conservative man to abandon his suit and live out his dreams of petty crime and financial responsibility and mildly unconventional sex. Luckily, our blondes here just inspire Michael Douglas to nervous breakdown instead. I mentioned this in the last podcast, but the most disturbing line in Basic Instinct is Michael Douglas's marriage proposal to this fabulously wealthy, sexually deviant, lesbian novelist. He has no idea how to live any other sort of life than a life where he is in control. And throughout the film, we meet women who got out of their domestic situations by slaughtering the men and the children around them, who one day just snapped and couldn't in- even remember why they did it. Well, some of us know. I invited Melissa Jira Grant, author, journalist, and a terrific writer to come on and talk about, among other things, the very important work being done by Sharon Stone's sweaters in this very important film. We are here to discuss Basic Instinct, um, which is, uh, this is one of those movies where I wasn't old enough to be able to watch it when it first came out because I was 13 or something like that. I so, think I was like the same age, just about. Yeah, and it, and but it had a hold on the popular culture with the jokes and the, uh, the scandal and the protests and everything that I somehow got tapped into, but never saw the film until um, surprisingly pretty recently. And I thought it was uh, weirdly revelatory. I can't remember when I first saw it, but I have watched it pretty regularly as an adult. But like I had that same experience. Like I was aware of Saturday Night Live's version of yes. Basic Instinct, but 
probably didn't see the film until some time after. Um, so, so tell me why it's a uh, it's a steady rewatch for you. There's something about that early '90s uh, erotic thriller genre mm-hmm. that just grabbed me. Um, probably the gateway drug was Madonna and Body of Evidence. Yeah. Um, a much lesser film. I really feel like if people want to enjoy that film, they should just watch the video for Bad Girl with her and Christopher Walken. <laughs> sure. Very noir. Um, yeah, maybe there was a part of me that was sort of like tapping into the like femme fatale Hitchcock kind of thing. You mm-hmm. know, I want to believe anyway that was like my classier uh, sure. attraction to it. Um, I don't know. It's just fascinating. And one reason I watch it a lot or frequently return to it now is San Francisco is inseparable from the film, though it is a San Francisco that is utterly unrecognizable to me from having lived there and certainly is not a recognizable San Francisco now. I don't think there are that many cops, even detectives who could afford an apartment with a view of the Transamerica Pyramid. Sure. Let's start there. Yeah. I mean, the, the San Francisco setting is so strange for the time in that this is early 90s and there's no... Um, there's no reference of uh, a gay culture. There's no reference of a tech culture. It's it's um, this a sort of in a bubble or in a, in a sort of cloistered version of of San Francisco. It's like the Vertigo, San Francisco, mm-hmm. right? Where it's mostly about aesthetics. And not necessarily human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they go to Tosca Cafe, which is still there. Um, I think one of the cops gets shot pretty close to Cafe Macaroni, which is on Broadway, kind of leading into North Beach. These are neighborhoods that are not cop neighborhoods, never were, right? Mm-hmm. It's just sort of they drop them down there because they're like beautiful to film in probably. Mm-hmm. If they even film much of it there, that's what it, I'm not clear on. The the Stinson Beach, uh, beach House that Catherine Martell owns, mm-hmm. um, I forgot when I most recently watched it that she was actually rich and and that her wealth had nothing to do with being a pulp writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she they like no really like she inherited money. Mm-hmm. Like we know that you're not actually going to make enough money to have a beach house in Stinson <laughs> and then also uh, I think a Pacific Heights address is where her regular digs are. Yeah, a uh, pulp writer and and therapist. Neither one of these is quite beach house money. No. Um, and supporting Roxy, her girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, you know, fast cars, an endless supply of uh, decadent neutral blouses. <laughs> the blouses and the sweaters are so good and important. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, so I feel like good time to do the synopsis of Basic Instinct. Um so right, it's a it's a weird little serial killer movie. Um, Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas, um, plays a detective who is investigating the murder of a rich ro- rock star, um, and um, Sharon Stone plays the lead suspect, a lover of rock star, a writer of murder mysteries and daughter of parents who died mysteriously um, and she's inherited their wealth and it's their cat and mouse thing but there's also the fact that he um, had accidentally shot some tourists um, in in the middle of trying to apprehend a suspect of some kind there's the fact that his wife killed herself uh, recently 
And there's the fact that he's sleeping with his therapist. Uh, his police-mandated therapist. His police-mandated therapist who is acting as sort of character witness. And uh, they had recently ended things, but they're... It's a sort of complicated thing. So that's the that's the oh, and then the murders were by ice pick. That's the other sort of oh yeah, right. Fact. How could yeah. you not know that? If yeah. anybody's listening to this, they're like, it's the ice pick movie, right? With yeah. the white dress and the yeah, and the, that's yeah, the movie. Yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, and the you know, I'm a little bit obsessed. With, I've become a little bit obsessed with Michael Douglas I've, I've, because I find him um, entirely repulsive. And it feels like Basic Instinct is one of the only few uh, movies to understand his inherent repulsiveness because all through the 80s, he was romantic leading man. Um, and that's disgusting, frankly. That, that he would be considered by any casting director as an appropriate leading man. Or a romantic, uh, sexy, sexy guy. Like I just find him, there's something like a reptilian colds about him i'm sure this wasn't their intention but there's a way that this film being set in the early 90s it sort of acts as this transitional moment for him from like 80s michael douglas mm -hmm. like man in control mm -hmm. to kind of left behind dad michael douglas yeah. so you know we see him try to like hang out with the kids like going to a nightclub oh the scene in the nightclub and he he comes in wearing like a like a not a deep v but like a mid v sweater Too much v. Yeah. without an undershirt mm -hmm. which apparently was scandalous at the time um <laughs> it is just sort of odd now and yeah. he can't dance and they, no one wants to share their drugs with him and you know he's just trying to make it work and yeah. it's it's a little desperate it's a little sad yeah, there's definitely this arc of the the sort of ascent of 80s Michael Douglas. And then he did all of these um, movies that were anxiety about losing power all in a row. He did Falling Down. He did um, Basic Instinct. He did uh, Disclosure. He did The Game. And it really is all of those movies are about the sort of um, limits put on white male entitlement. What happens uh, after greed is good. Yeah. All of this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he he's not plausible to me as somebody more than how Catherine Martell, Sharon Stone, views him, mm -hmm. which is an interesting plaything mm -hmm. and a possible subject for her book, which is ultimately, I don't know if we get to read any of it. You know, I also watched Basic Instinct Two oh my God. this week just to be thorough for your sake yeah um and we actually hear more of the book that she writes based on him which is called shooter a reference to oh his uh killing of tourists or shooting of tourists which apparently is enough to be that's scandalous within the san francisco police department which of the is early adorable 90s to think about really. that the police give a shit when they accidentally kill somebody anyway so. and that they like mock him like yeah it's it's preposterous so you know, her her book version of him is probably more interesting than who he is in real life. Mm -hmm. And he I think he knows that. And and so part of what also like part of his loss of control is like he's just not even in control of his own life mm -hmm. at that level on like a metaphoric level. He's just like being erased yeah. by this woman um, who's in Basic Instinct 2. It's got an interesting cast. So David Thewlis is a cop. Mm -hmm. um, and Hugh Dancy 
What? Yes. <laughs> um, most recently seen in Hannibal. Yeah. He plays kind of the Freddie Lowndes That's so of weird. Basic Instinct, too. He's a journalist with a trashy magazine. I think it's called like Urbane or something like that. Oh. Um, and he's obsessed with Catherine Martell. So he's sort of like a serial killer chaser. And uh, he meets an untimely end in a very on Hannibal the TV series terms pretty tame end but like mm. maybe for 2006 um, still a little edgy it's funny like whatever sort of allusions there are in the first basic instinct to BDSM are just as weak and stagey mm. in the sequel um, like what these characters sexuality says to me is like these are people who are less like really into this stuff as they are people who see this stuff as like you know a, a, a tourism essentially mm -hmm. right yeah like of course you're gonna like choke out you know the therapist that you're bringing home to control him yeah um in in basic instinct two Catherine martell is under therapy herself and um i don't know it, it, it makes the first one seem sophisticated by comparison <laughs> <laughs> i'll say that not that the first one lacks for sophistication yeah um but it's um I don't know. There's a subtlety to it, and there's a subtlety to um, the the mystery. Like, there's really no mystery in the second one. I think the first one actually really works as a thriller. Mm -hmm. um, yeah the um, the aspect of Catherine as the as the pulp writer who is um, sort of either writing book form confessions of the murders that she's committing or somebody is obsessed with her right so that's the kind of subplot of the uh the 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 police ordered therapist uh, turns out to uh indeed yes be obsessed with Sharon Stone because how do you sort of walk in the presence of Sharon Stone and not become obsessed with her I guess is, is... and commit crimes to implicate her yeah cuz that's mean, how much you love her yeah um that's kind of a um uh What's her? Oh, what's that actress's name? Jean, Jean Triplehorn. Triple yeah. It's a classic. Like, I want to be you. I want to fuck you. I want to kill you. Like, I'm not really sure. Yeah. A party going on in her head. Yeah. They were lovers, or at least hooked up once when they were both at Berkeley in the 80s, as mm -hmm. you do. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then Catherine, you know, apparently goes on to have relationships with women. We don't really know what is going on for the therapist who actually like changes her name somewhat changes her identity mm -hmm. um so they're not immediately able to connect her with Catherine's past mm -hmm. it's not clear to me if she commits all the murders that was what i was a little mixed on watching it again like i actually think that um Catherine Martel may have committed some of the murders well, that's the thing is that I I believe that this is a movie about how sleeping with men turns you can turn you into a serial killer. Or sleeping with Michael Douglas specifically makes you want to murder men with ice picks, and that's just an, the inevitable result of this of this whole experience. Is that's what happens? And might be that the first time that she even contemplates killing anyone is when she's in bed with him, right? Yeah, I think that's yeah. a pretty a pretty solid theory. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's a uh, you know, there's a, there are a lot of sort of weird um, similarities with uh, Fatal Attraction. Um, that was the other thing about sort of the '80s Michael Douglas movies is he was always sort of or he was frequently put in the position of. Um, uh, the feminine role in this way of like 
um, sure, stalking is a is a real problem, but what if it happened to men? Or uh, what about the men? What about the men? Think of the men. Um, and then in disclosure with Demi Moore is like sexual harassment is a, re- is, is a big deal. But what if it happened to men? You right. know, it's just this kind of um, uh, this ridiculous uh, thing and his, um, his spiraling out of entitlement is always sort of um, interesting to watch. Um, but the fatal attraction thing is, is that same sort of. Um, uh, well, the fatal attraction thing of the most important thing is is the sacred marriage, right? The sacred nuclear family has to be protected at all costs, and even if the man strays, like the only mm-hmm. thing to do then is to murder the uh, you know woman who um, led him astray. Yeah, in Basic Instinct, he's the one who wants to to quote him, um, "Fuck like minks, have rugrats, and live happily ever after." Yeah, Casper Martel's not really down for this plan like he's the one who wants to domesticate her yeah right? yeah um i mean that's the whole sort of patriarchal domain right it's just like how do i how do i get everything into a system of control uh which is the the michael douglas thing um what do you what do you think of the the film in the context of the protests around it so right there were yeah. protests apparently of the filming as well in mm-hmm. san francisco and you know late 80s, early 90s, San Francisco's a real hotbed of activism and street protest. And I think I remember the protests when the film came out and the grounds for them that, you know, the film, it it kind of dwells in, if not promotes the stereotype of queer sexuality as, you know, not just deviant, but violent mm-hmm. and, and sick. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if the reason I don't read the film that way is because I have grown up with slightly more media representations Mm -hmm. of queer people. Um, There's also so little film representation of bisexuality. And here's a film that theoretically represents bisexuality, Mm -hmm. never utters the word. Yeah. From this particular era, looking back at the protests, it it doesn't necessarily make sense in the in the way of, um, sure, a lot of movies. Um, I mean, in Silence of the Lambs, it wasn't um, the implication that, I mean, because he was dressing like a woman and, and so on and so forth. So I can understand that there's a history there of mental illness uh, correlated with um, uh, deviant sexuality, deviant sexuality, um, and uh, and so on and so forth. But for like... Is that a thing for lesbians? Like it only, I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, for me, I think to have femmes on film mm-hmm. that were not just two girls that a guy got together to watch them, mm-hmm. right? These are women who have a life together. And I know that some of the reactions to it were like, well, again, this film is just reinscribing that what lesbianism really is, is like a plaything for men. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's actually what's going on between no. Catherine and Roxy. No. And particularly their triangle dynamic with with Nick, mm-hmm. Michael Douglas. No, it's like, um, have you seen Elle? No. So there's this, uh, the end scene of Elle, you know, um, so she's dealing with men and they're all trying to, you know, rape, assault, exploit, et cetera, her. Um, and she uh, has a sort of final moment with her best girlfriend and they just, they decide to move in together. It's like, um, not that they, and there was a sort of like a playful uh, kissing scene between them uh, earlier on in the film in a way of like, 
um, chosen lesbianism or chosen bisexuality um, as a way of surviving heterosexuality. <laughs> like, I feel like there's a lot in um, when I watched uh, Basic Instinct for the first time or rewatched it for the first time in a while. Um, I was got really excited because I was just like, this is a movie about how heterosexuality is a nightmare and what it does to women, mm -hmm. um, which is it causes them to be a little deranged. But the only hope in that movie is um, Catherine and Roxy. And Roxy, who we are led to believe is, is pretty accepting of, mm -hmm. of Catherine having multiple lovers. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess Nick, Michael Douglas's reading of Roxy's like distasteful reaction to him and Catherine mm -hmm. is that like, well, a man has showed up. Right. But I think it's actually that man who showed up. Yeah, right. Because it's disgusting. Who wouldn't want to run him off the road? Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, his sense of entitlement, his trying to like claim Catherine. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like that is what Roxy is reacting to. She's not just like um, having that painful sort of you know fear that women are supposed to have that like you know the right dick might come along and make them straight again yeah i mean just the preening he does in that scene with roxy yes. and his dick is out and he's just like you know chest out chin up and all that kind of stuff well Catherine's like draped in like not just like a sweater but a pashmina like there's like <laughs> so many layers of like like i've been trying to find the sweater yeah. That she's wearing in the very first scene when Michael Douglas and his partner go out to Stinson Beach to try to interrogate her. Mm -hmm. And the classic exchange that scene, I think, anyway, is the partner saying, like, what are you, a pro? And her response is like, no, I'm an amateur, <laughs> uh, which is really great. But like what's even better is her sweater. Yeah. Like she has this like open knit, oversized kind of maybe there's some Angora in there. I don't know. I have tried all the keywords. I cannot find the sweater <laughs> anywhere. They really should just sell it at uh, Saks. They should just do a line of all of her clothes. Absolutely. At, yeah, I would. I would absolutely. And, and there are many odes to her. Uh, Haley Mlotek wrote a beautiful ode to her turtlenecks. Um, <laughs> you know, they're more mock necks. She's really into a, more of a crew neck, I mm -hmm. think. Um, and like high-waisted jeans, um, silk trench coats. Yeah, the silk trench coats are very, yeah, yeah. they're very good. Um, and it was funny because, I mean, you sent th this link to... Um, like one of these promotional pieces from the New York Times of uh, when the movie was coming out. And and I don't know if Michael Douglas understood the movie that he was in. Oh, where he says it's like some kind of like highbrow meditation on like sex and death and yeah. violence, maybe. I, I think he was remember. talking about AIDS or something. Um, yeah, there was this assumption that like, you know, anything that has to do with sexuality in this period, let's say between like, I don't know, 87 and 90 mid 90s mm -hmm. has to respond to AIDS. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and not that the larger world was all that interested in responding to AIDS, but this idea that like sex had been made newly dangerous again, mm -hmm. um, if it had ever been really dangerous. And yeah, I guess you could read the film as um, like the least subtext possible, like <laughs> San Francisco in the early 90s, sexual mm -hmm. danger, sexualized danger. Um, I'm not really sure that Michael Douglas brought that to his role. I really feel like he played that just like, I'm a sleazy cop. Yeah. Then I get laid. Cool. Yeah. yeah and it, but in, even he's in the piece, he said something about it being, uh, you know, an erotic thriller like Fatal Attraction. Um, 
yeah, there's something in my head about the about these two movies about um um Michael Douglas sort of losing control uh of a situation due to his sort of sexual urges. But in the eighties it all comes back together, right? So the the threat is eliminated by his wife, weirdly, like she's the one who shoots um uh the the mistress the pregnant mistress and she shoots her in the stomach and that you know anyway yes. so no future generations of mistresses whatever <laughs> in this case the, there is sort of an illusion of heterosexual pair bonding that mm-hmm. the film goes out on mm-hmm. and in a way he gets the girl um but not without losing everything else mm-hmm. right like it, we he's still not a cop Right. He's already been essentially like dismissed, mm-hmm. is under investigation. His girlfriend, on and off again, girlfriend, therapist, he's killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, also, his partner's dead. Um, you know, yes, he gets Catherine, but like everything that was his world before her is essentially missing, destroyed. And, and yet he feels weirdly triumphant in the in the sort of final scene because he thinks that he has this woman under control and that thing of like, yeah, we're going to get married and have kids um, as long as he can keep his little rebuild his little domain, then it doesn't matter that he's caused all this chaos and murder and suffering. And 14 years later, it's like, oh, by the way, that relationship did not work out. Now Catherine Michelle is in London and like, which curiously looks like Chicago at certain Mm. points. I read Roger Ebert's review of Basic Instinct 2, which I thoroughly recommend. Mm -hmm. I, I did not go back and read his review of the first one. I don't think the film was all that loved when it came out i feel like no one thought this was a good film but no one could deny that it had become very influential like to it to a degree that just like i don't even know if it's possible anymore for a film like this that's fundamentally like a passion play about gender and sexuality and power Mm -hmm. to get at that level of cultural saturation like the media has just changed a lot Mm -hmm. um but i just don't think that I don't think these issues are like any more resolved now than they were then. I just think they they had an ability to just take off like a forest fire at yeah. that time. Yeah. Um, I mean, kind of like all of his movies are sort of uh, critically derided and yet make a shit ton of money. All um, of their Hovind's movies. Yeah. yeah. And, and become uh, visually uh influential immediately and have a weird series of um sequels that have nothing to do with anything um but yeah it it had that kind of um you know there's no reason that i as a 13 year old living in, in the middle of nowhere kansas uh would have a sort of um keen sense of that film and yet i totally did because it just immediately entered the bloodstream of the country and part of that was you know the crotch scene because it was seen as just so scandalous yes. and such a big deal but um you know how dare how dare we show anything but yeah right and now the scandalous part of it would be that there was pubic hair present <laughs> yeah that would, that would be shocking to people yeah yeah um and then of course he just uh, you know uh tripled down with uh showgirls and just showed everybody's um everybody's everything so. showgirls which was you know a very complicated moment for Kyle MacLachlan I I need to watch it again now that Twin Peaks the Return has aired and and see if I see any of the, of the roots of of Dougie or Mr. C yeah. in uh, Kyle MacLachlan's character there I mean that that's also a film that's sort of about this like girls only paradise that men just like aren't cut out for mm-hmm. um and i guess you could have that kind of reading of basic instinct you know 
there's three women who are really driving the action Mm -hmm. and the men are just like playing catch up and mostly failing. Yeah. I mean, just the sort of uh, her ability to control the room by crossing and uncrossing her legs is, um, you know, she's able to completely um, fool or take the detectives wherever she wants to. And, you know, that's that's a lot of the sort of anxiety of these 90s sort of erotic thrillers is like, so women are now in the workplace um, and they have this uh, added weapon of sexuality. Like civilization is going to crumble. Like men will be unable to get anything done. And yet the patriarchy still stands. So. Yeah, this is this is a film that's also for me anyway, inseparable from like Camille Paglia. Like this is like <laughs> this is that moment of not just this film being able to achieve a certain level of cultural saturation, mm-hmm. but to be a teenager, not quite in the middle of nowhere, but suburban Boston mm-hmm. and open up Rolling Stone and, you know, have reference to that kind of feminist conversation, have Madonna talking very overtly about sexuality in a way that, you know, I had never seen Mm -hmm. in the media before. Like a smaller media allowed the early 90s, I think, to seem like we were just engaged in this like huge conversation about sexuality and about women's power. Um, But it it feels quaint now in a way like we would have gone through like half a day's cycle of takes Mm -hmm. with the level of media output that there was at that time you know in a way like what's been going on lately with katie royfe feels like it's almost a throwback Mm -hmm. to that time it's like oh isn't that quaint like you're gonna respond to the moment with a magazine story how wonderful (laughs) that you have such a lead time to get your thoughts together and of course you don't understand you know the way the media works now and twitter um this film is it's like of that kind of media type, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like it, it not only it feels more like a fifties film. It feels more like, um, I don't know, some something that is. I don't think they made it to spark conversation. I don't think it was made with the sense of making a statement. It's mm-hmm. more that the culture craved some statement making and mm-hmm. was like, well, this, yeah. right? Like we have this. This is going to be the way that we're going to reckon with you know, the transition out of the Reagan 80s into like whatever comes next. I don't think we were quite to Clinton yet. Maybe there was some campaigning going on. Um, but, you know, that that shift in the culture um, mm-hmm. that comes with him, like it's like we didn't really know where we were going yet mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah. And it did feel like we were having a specific conversation and then it turns out that we we have to do it all over again because apparently nothing got resolved i thought we oh, in the 90s. Sort of decided yeah, something yeah. So we decided some things but now we're literally doing um the sort of free speech on campus thing again we are literally doing consent again we're you know um but yet we have PC no gone mad, PC again. Gone mad we have the exact same writers yes. saying the exact same things their thinking has not evolved in any way andrew sullivan caitlin flanning etc um so yay us go team right let's so, just like watch basic instinct again get it out of our system i know is you know uh that's the thing missing from our moment is now we're we're poorer for the fact that we don't have a, a basic instinct to speak to the moment i don't know now we just have wonder woman and uh black panther or something um yeah, it's it's not. I mean, I think Black Panther actually might be a film that sort of seizes on people in that way, but because of the relative lack of films like that, mm-hmm. so something that truly cuts through, I think, has to cut through in that way. I don't think that 
the basic instinct was like all that unique for being an erotic thriller. Like the ground had been laid with things yeah. like Fatal Instinct and then it, not Fatal Instinct, Fatal Attraction. And then it sort of swerved into this like, oh, that was a great hit. Like, let's keep trying to make those things. Yeah, right. And then yeah. you get body of evidence. And oh, what was the follow up sliver? Sliver. Yeah. Right. Oh, poor Sharon Stone. Yeah. And then Sharon Stone now, I mean, you know, she's fascinating to me. She's an Amphar ambassador. She's somebody who despite I think how she represents herself is only seen as like an aging glamorous woman. Mm -hmm. That's the role that she's been pegged to. Um, the reviews of Basic Instinct 2 really gravitate on that. Isn't it tragic that we're having to look at a woman who's so old have sex on screen? Um, never mind the fact that Michael Douglas, I think, is like nearly 15 years older mm -hmm. than Sharon Stone yeah. in the 90s. I mean, and to this day, I imagine, in case there's some extra fancy uh interventions he has available to him i'm not sure what he even looks like now like i, I in my mind like he's frozen in that period uh he doesn't look good he somehow looks worse than his father who's 101 God like damn um and you know i think the last sort of film i saw him in was when he was playing liberace and so he <gasps> oh, was right. naked and having sex all over that one too um and, and like, really like dirty that. sex right like yeah. glory holes and stuff like yeah. it was pretty pretty explicit um, but I don't remember anyone complaining about why do we have to see Michael Douglas's aged naked body? Although no. that's how I felt when I was. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you felt in 1991. Let's yeah, be honest. I felt, I felt that <laughs> hasn't gotten Since any the better. I knew that Michael Douglas ex existed. Um, so I want to talk yes. about all the women murderers in the in this movie. Uh, so Roxy. Uh, it turns out no a, ambiguousness with her murdering. Yeah, so she murdered. She murdered her brothers, right? And then, um, uh, Catherine, when she was very young, when she was very yeah. young, and the and uh, I can't remember the character's name, but the the woman, uh, the older woman friend of Catherine. Oh right, her friend in um oh god, it's not Walnut Creek. I like was like freaking out about like which little town is this? It's not. Um, but but one of those smaller towns um near Berkeley. Catherine goes and hangs out with her. Did you know talk about that time? Then she snapped and killed her whole family. Yeah, and that's just like fodder for mm -hmm. you know getting inside the mind of a murderer. The premise there being like Catherine does not have the mind of a murderer herself, even though she surrounds herself with murderers. And uh yeah and. Uh, it yeah, it's ambiguous whether or not Catherine herself is a murderer, but um, in the sense of like all the women at some point just lose their minds, mm -hmm. and the way that it's always talked about is uh, yeah, they just snapped one day, they don't know why they did it, and I was like, I know why they did it because heterosexuality is a nightmare. Uh, being wife is a nightmare. Being a mother is a nightmare. Being a sister to brothers is a nightmare. I'm surprised Jean Triplehorn, the therapist Beth, that's her name, mm -hmm. uh, her fake name, um, <laughs> didn't go after Nick Michael Douglas after he raped her. Mm -hmm. That apparently wasn't an inciting incident to kill him. Yeah. Um, all she does is like storm out of the room and tells him to help himself to the cigarettes on the way out. Yeah. But she does have a much longer scheme to destroy him. Mm -hmm. Right. To conspire to get him to see her killing or see her having just killed his partner and believe mm -hmm. that she's Catherine. It's just it a much. I She's somebody who doesn't quite snap. Um, but she is somebody who also, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why she kind of falls outside of that framework. There's like no good reason for it other mm -hmm. than like she's there to cast out on the fact that Catherine was a killer. Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe she 
also wearing a blonde wig killed the rock star. Right. Kind of implausible, but like, okay, maybe that happened. Well, plus they have very different bodies. That too. And it's sort of clearly Sharon Stone in the murder scene, uh, even though you can't see her face. Yes. Um, But yeah, it's that sense of, yeah, I mean, so the rape scene is really kind of horrifying. Um, It didn't have to go that way. Like he, she's willing, they're doing something that everyone's feeling good about. And no, that's not enough. It's something about the rape scenes that that do show up in in Verhoeven films of... um, they almost always start with consent or there's the possibility of consent and the man chooses to rape instead, which is kind of an interesting way to, I mean, in L, that was sort of the situation with basic instinct in this particular scene. Like she's clearly trying to consent to what's happening and he is kind of uh, trying to find what she'll resist to and then does that. Um, so it's a kind of horrifying scene of her realizing what's going on and and the blame for him mm-hmm. it's Catherine right it's Catherine's fault yes Catherine's yeah. the one who made him do this Catherine's the one who inspired him to have rough sex that then becomes non-consensual mm-hmm. and it's it's a it's a strange and elliptical way of like absolving him of having raped Beth mm-hmm. right because it's he feels out of control with uh with Catherine um because he can't at this point have sex with her and she's uh destroy you know maybe just going to destroy his career um just because she's bored um and so he feels out of control so he has to go feel in control by raping raping somebody and and they rehash that same plot in the sequel as well right up to there's some consensual sex having going on and mm. then a woman is pushed and pushed and pushed and it's the fault of Catherine Martell again like that that to me is one of the most insidious parts of the film mm-hmm. that like part of women, quote unquote, destroying men mm-hmm. um, is that it destroys other women. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading um, and this is just like useless information that's jammed in my head and I'll, I'll never be able to get it out. But they were it was some interview with like a serial killer expert and they asked, you know, why was why was the rise of the serial killer in the 60s and 70s? And it was like, well, because of feminism. And men felt out of control with uh, with women. And so some men needed to uh, reinstate control by murdering a bunch of fucking women. I mean, that's basically the thesis of Mindhunter, the yeah. the pro- FBI pro- profilers kind of memoir mm-hmm. um, that, you know, men are reacting to overbearing women in their lives, whether those are mothers or wives. Mm-hmm. And and so that's this is the resentment. Right. Mm -hmm. That fuels this kind of um, what seems like they just snapped, but they didn't. Um, So I guess we're only so creative and and we have to believe that all the reason women are killers is because they just snapped. But without that analysis of because overbearing men, not just individual overbearing men, but an entire political system of overbearing men. Right. That that somehow is not fodder for the female serial killer story. Yeah, which is why I like the um, female murderer sort of subplot throughout throughout Basic Instinct. It's just it's not the uh, woman driving men to be crazy. It's um, you know it's the other way around too. And there's or let's see, are there any women in Basic Instinct who didn't maybe kill someone or definitely kill someone? I don't think there's any. I don't maybe think that the maid, anybody. maybe the maids, because um, um, there's definitely a maid at the rich guy's house, and there's a maid at. Catherine's house. 
Um, but we don't know. I mean, maybe, they could be killers. I mean, if it's at Catherine's house, she probably hired her because she was, you know, um, a murderer. And there is a joke, actually, that the rock stars made um, because she's the one who discovers the body could have killed him. And then they're like, no, like, you know, she weighs some ridiculous amount. And so obviously she couldn't have had sex with him. It's. Oh, right. Yeah. Because she's too fat. Yes. Yeah. So he would never sleep. He would with never a, sleep with yeah. her. Right. Because yeah. rich men definitely don't sleep with their help. Yeah. Or never happens. Their help or, no, you know, that never uh, happens. Yeah. There's also this obsession. Um, like, I don't think I'd ever seen a film that was so obsessed with cum. <laughs> just like they're just the, the 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 cool assessment of calm on behalf of men just yeah. like standing around and um there there's a way that like the male exclusively male homicide detectives um relate to these graphic sexual scenes um that feels like sport mm-hmm. um yeah it has that um so his name right is so he's um partnered with this sort of uh, part, you know, like a, ha, he has a drinking problem. He's uh, unattractive. He kind of, I think, lives vicariously a little bit through the through Michael Nick. Douglas yeah. figure. Yeah. Who's, uh, who, you know, who brags about um, banging the the police ordered psychologist, uh, you know, oh, she can't get over me. That whole thing is going right. on. Um, but yeah, the, the he's sort like of the sidekick friend, you know, he's never going to be like yeah. the center of attention, but he sort of makes the hero or anti-hero look good. Yeah. But that whole thing of, of the assessing of the uh, the uh, ejaculate on the murder scene yeah. when they turn on the uh, the uh, the, the black light or whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever that's called. I, I didn't even know that was a thing. That Michael Douglas like puts on some special shades, like it's like comma vision, I guess. Mm, you yeah. can see what happened around all the cum yeah. in the room. Just he had a great up. time, yeah. you know. It's like a hotel review site or something going on yeah. in that bed. And and the other the other men who we we kind of have like a pretty homosocial experience of the other cops. They only mm-hmm. hang out with each other. They drink with each other. They gape at Catherine together. Mm-hmm. They interrogate Catherine together. And then they interrogate Nick together. Mm-hmm. Um, to your point of like, you know, he's Michael Douglas is often like the substitute woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, in this, like they replay the famous interrogation scene of Catherine mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. And he uses the same line, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, because she lights up a cigarette and, the, and they're like, oh, you can't smoke in here. Oh, what are you going to do? Sue me for smoking or whatever. Um, and then he uses the same line in this. Just like he has got no imagination. Like she's the only one with any sort of new perspective on anything, right. any sort of creative impulse at all. The rest of them are just reacting to her. Yeah. And even he's just sort of, you know, um, aping her moves i mean him trying to dance you know like at the, at the club is just really i mean this is this is a really dismal reading of the film but is that supposed to be the sort of fantasy wish fulfillment of the film like imagine a woman who is so powerful all of the men around her obeyed her that's uh, hilarious that would never happen i don't know i mean she she is like synonymous with the city where this film happens. She's synonymous with all of these like luxurious spaces. Like I feel like this is her world, mm-hmm. right? Like we, even though like we're not always like through her eyes moving through the film, um, I just feel like this entire thing is sort of like playing out in one of her fantasies. And so, you know, yes, maybe this is supposed to be this fantasy of like, what if there was a world where a woman was this powerful, but like, 
we go along for the ride with her. So I don't I'm not actually so sure that that's what's happening. But that would be like the most dismal possible take on this being, you know, an anti-feminist film. <laughs> yeah. Not the com. You know, not the, <laughs> the ice picks. It's just like women could never be powerful. What are you talking about? Women could never have so much power. They might like kill someone. Like That's hilarious. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, the the sort of uh, the violence of Michael Douglas is uh, I like that it's sort of belittled throughout. Um, like how but, ineffective he is. Yeah, I mean, he he manages to kill somebody, but it's like an unarmed uh, tourist, you know, and uh, even his wife kills kills herself. He doesn't sort of dominate her and, and, and murder. Which kind of makes her a murderer. Oh, yeah, there we go. she kills herself. Yeah. I mean, we never meet her, but we hear about her. Yeah. Uh, very briefly, which is kind of weird. Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess that's why he's living in that, like, bummed-out apartment with a beautiful view. Yeah, like, uh, with the TV on all of the time. Yeah, hasn't unpacked, has Jack Daniels exclusively on <laughs> as a beverage. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so cliched. Like, you know, he goes out, he get what is he, the first time he's alone with Catherine giving her a ride home, and then he immediately rolls into Tosca Cafe and, like, does a double whiskey shot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he he is that cliched, like hard-boiled detective character like doubled over on itself it's Mm -hmm. like no actually this isn't um this isn't somebody who's even that character like this is somebody who's like aware that that's a character you can slip into and he has no other way to relate to Catherine except by like being bad in these utterly cliched ways yeah um including a terrible v-neck sweater the Um, v-neck sweater the smoking again um, I don't think he actually gets back into coke, but there's certainly like a desire to in mm-hmm. the nightclub where he's, you know, rejected from the, the coke party happening in the bathroom stall. Yeah. Um, it has such a weird um, tone to it in the sense of it's not quite um, it's a little bit more over the top than the other sort of erotic thrillers. I mean, the sex mm-hmm. is more is sort of uh exaggerated in the um the reveal of the silk scarf you know every time she pulls it out right. to Hermes, is not that they can pronounce it right <laughs> just as a detail i love there's only twenty thousand sold in the world yeah as if they were gonna go track them all yeah sure down like, yeah. sure um but the ice pick comes from kmart like the high low of like the ice pick and the scarf i don't think it's intended but i like it yeah. um the, there's something also about the the I don't know the the world of it is entirely full of rich people except mm-hmm. for the cops like which sure. pushes them to the outside a bit um I'm and you know there are maids but like it's basically a world of like rich people having fun mm-hmm. and then the people who are trying to like keep them in line and failing right and the and the fancy cars and the weird chasing that almost you know oh yeah the the one up in in the north bay on those like hairpin curves mm-hmm. yeah yeah and she's obviously in control of, of her automobile and the situation and he's veering in and out and possibly about to take out you know five different cars and it's it's very hitchcock and sort of like the mistaken identity doubled identity thing like when roxy is also in that same car and kills Mm -hmm. or tries to kill nick um so roxy actually might be a failed murderer as an adult who's an accomplished murderer as a child (laughs) but like just you know she ends up killing herself in that Mm -hmm. scene um and, and and i guess you could you could read that in a you know, as an, an anti-lesbian statement, right? Like she's the like 
ever so slightly more butch Mm -hmm. of the couple like in that like she's not butch at all but like i can tell that we were supposed to read her that way sure And, and like a uh maybe not working class background but certainly um lower class than anybody else absolutely she i my assumption with her is we're supposed to see her sort of catherine's kept pet Mm -hmm. um whereas catherine can also you know have sex with these older um powerful men though there's there's a an interesting tweak like when michael douglas first goes to catherine's house his partner comments like oh they've got his and her picassos because Mm -hmm. the johnny boz the rock star had one as well and and Nick's comment is, yeah, but hers is bigger. (laughs) Do you think it's a good movie? I mean, whatever good means. Probably not. Um, (laughs) Really, (laughs) honestly. But like good by like what? I mean, it it, it is inseparable from its like place in the culture. Mm -hmm. So it's fantastic for understanding that. But I think if it existed completely independent of the outsized influence that it had, it would probably be like a Cinemax late night Mm -hmm. movie with like a slightly higher budget where you're like, why is Michael Douglas even doing this film? (laughs) This doesn't make any sense. Why is um, uh, Skinner from X-Files in this film? What's he doing there? Um, As the, he's I think one of the internal affairs cops Mm -hmm. and Newman. Newman, yeah, is also in, yeah. in one of the uh, inter- in the interrogation scenes. I think he's supposed to be like the ADA, which is wild. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> so we have like, like flop sweat, and yeah, you know, yeah. we have we so we have this sort of like improbably over the top star who's sort of fading. Mm-hmm. Then we have like the newcomer out of nowhere in Sharon Stone. Right, this is like one of her first huge films. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, I think it was the Times Review was a little bit, or that Times promo piece was a little shady. And, you know, he listed all of the actresses who supposedly turned down the part sure. because they didn't want to have so much sex or simulated sex. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and apparently Michael Douglas fought really hard to not have Sharon Stone cast. Really? That but, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, because she was, you know, beneath him, not famous enough. Yeah. He thought she did uh, too many B movies and, um, did too much nudity and so uh which is weird thing like wanting a sort of pure actress for these explicit sex scenes with him like that's a weird desire yeah there's another kind of vibe to that which Um, is yeah yeah which is why i think michael douglas didn't know what what movie he was in um in the sense of like i think everybody else sort of knew but i think michael douglas was a little bit like um just just go out there and be Michael Douglas. He's like, okay, got it. Just like slimy, preening, and the entitled. whole world's falling apart yeah. around you and judging you. But like, it's great that you can't perceive that as a human <laughs> being because it's just going to make this performance even better. Yeah, yeah. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.